Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. We are actually closing out Nehemiah in service today. What this means is that our small groups will continue to study it for a couple weeks in detail, but this is the last Sunday I'm going to cover on it because next Sunday is Q&A Sunday. Everybody say Q&A. Does anybody know what Q&A stands for? All right. You're there. You can submit your questions ahead of time via the church office, or you can just ask me this Sunday after service if you want to pre-submit questions, but we'll also be taking questions live next Sunday. Um, Questions about the Bible, questions about how the Bible should um, step into our lives and, and weigh in on our lives. It's always a really cool Sunday. We get questions from UFOs to, um, to suicide and salvation. So uh, generate those questions. You know you have them. Maybe they're about Nehemiah. I don't know. But uh, Q&A Sunday next week, bring a friend. It's a great Sunday to bring a friend. Uh, and, and, and so Q&A Sunday, next Sunday. Nehemiah 13. Now, Nehemiah is about to end in a very weird way. Like an independent film kind of way. Be, how many of you have ever heard of independent films, right? Um, uh, some of you like them better, okay? In all the films most of us watch, it ends great, right? In independent films, everyone dies. It all crumbles down in independent films. It's a sad ending. I've never watched an independent film that ended positively, to be honest. I haven't. Maybe I should, maybe Luke has some suggestions for me. But listen, this is how Nehemiah ends. I'm, I was hoping, you know, I'm just praying. This, this is going to end great. This is going to end beautifully. But Nehemiah takes a turn for the worst. Right at the end. This is how it ends. So if you came this morning and you're like, I just want to be encouraged, Pastor. Just encourage my heart. I think it's going to. Because... Um, what this sermon, what this last chapter should do is it should make us marvel at God. If there's one job I have on Sunday morning, it is to make you marvel at the Most High, at God, at our Creator. And so that's my hope for this morning. Um, it kind of ends on a load note, really kind of a curveball. So let me just recap where we've been. And then I'll jump into the message today. Some of y'all are sick of hearing this recap, and I'll tell you why I keep doing it. You know how long it takes to burn things into your memory? 21 days. 21 days. So I'm going to keep saying it because when you leave here, I think think most of you are going to be able to regurgitate Nehemiah. 
And could you do it beforehand? No. You didn't even know who Nehemiah was. Yeah, you knew it was in the books there, but you, you read it like in the, the front of the Bible. But you're, you, if I had asked you who Nehemiah was, but now we have an understanding. Um, and honestly, 13 is going to, chapter 13, where we'll be, will tell us the truth about us. Have you ever had someone tell you the truth about you? If we're honest, most of us haven't. Most, most people will not tell you the truth about you. Because they don't want to get in an argument. They don't want to offend you. They don't want to hurt your feelings. That's the beautiful thing about the Bible. It's going to tell you the truth about you. And, so I, and, and if you're not a Christian, so for Christians, it's going to tell us the truth about us. If you're not a Christian, it is going to give you some perspective on some of the inconsistencies you may see in Christians. It's going to give you some perspective. Now, the very first week, we said Christians are people who enter into sorrow, not step away. If you want to fill out the blank in the, in the bulletin, you can do that. We enter into sorrow. We don't step away from it. So our natural tendency is to step away from messy situations, right? Hello, hey, we're in church, it's fine, okay, just make sure we're still here. We enter in, we don't step away. And then we talked about that we are in relationship with God. So we talk, thank you, hey, I got a name in section, all right. We, in, we are in relationship with God, which means we talk to him. This isn't something we just do on Sundays, rub elbows with some Christians and say, I'm a good guy. No, this is seven days a week, 24 hours a day. As Christians, we are in relationship, get this, with the God that created you, that breathed life into your lungs. Then we talked about that Christians should take action on their prayers. That we should be people that are mobile. We move. We do things. Now, we can't do things for everybody. But listen, when we pray, we shouldn't be praying to, to, to prayer being the end of it. We should be praying to do something. How can God use you? And then uh, week four, we realize we're going to face opposition. And it's going to take different forms. We've all faced opposition from sickness to ornery kids to... Maybe even ourselves. We're our own opposition. And so we're going to need to remember the Lord in our opposition. That look, this thing is working out something. That no opposition, nothing you face in life is purposeless. Hear me. Nothing you face in life is purposeless. God is using it to work in and through you. And then uh, right after that, we found out in Nehemiah that not only would we have opposition from outside, but then inside, that we would have to extend grace inside the walls. How many of you have ever met a non-perfect Christian? All right. I've met a few. I'm looking at a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And look, 
if you've been in church for any amount of time, some of us have left church because of some hurt that happened inside the walls. Yeah. And that's almost like the worst hurt, right? But listen, that's because most of us have an expectation that when we come to church, we're supposed to pretend that we're, we've got it all together. And, and what I'm here to tell you is that you don't. So stop acting like it. And don't come in here expecting that all of us are just going to be perfect and treat you like we're not human. It happens. And, and ministry is ugly. So, and, and life is ugly. And I don't, it is, it is crazy. It is an unreal expectation for you to come here and think that you're going to run into perfect people. Because that's why I'm here this morning. I need him. I need him. You need him. That's why we're here. All right. right. Hey, I'll keep preaching there. I'll keep on preaching. We have to extend grace inside the walls. Okay? This is a process. Then... Uh, we find we we talked about just a couple weeks ago that pe- um, people um, should be defined. Christian people should we are defined and directed by the Word of God. Okay, nothing else, not society, not culture. We are defined by the Word of God. Our flag is in the ground there. You don't find truth in it; it is the truth. You get that. It, you, you don't get to skip through and pick the verses that make you feel good. The entire thing is meant for your growth and development to become more like Christ. The whole, the whole thing. And then last week we, we talked about the fact that we are empowered by the promises that God makes to us. That we're able to walk through life because of the promises he's made to you and I. And that he is a God that keeps his promises. If you leave here today and you forget everything else I said, I don't want you to forget that God keeps his promises. No matter what life looks like, he keeps his promises. And now, on the verge of what I'd hoped to be, just this epic positive ending, just coming off the promises and repentance of God. You know, we're just ready. We're going to turn into 13 and and see uh, how we are prone to drift. Everybody say prone. Prone to drift. We are all prone to drift. And so I'm going to read starting in 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. You can take that and I want you to read along with us. Now starting in verse 4. Before this had happened, Eliashib, the priest, who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of our God, and who was also a relative of Tobiah. Do y'all remember the name Tobiah? Was he on the good side? No, he was not. Interesting. Keep following. 
um, Tobiah had converted a large storeroom and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and gatekeepers, as well as offerings for the priests. Keep reading, verse 6. I was not, Nehemiah was not, in Jerusalem at that time. For I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign, though I later asked for permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Eliashib's evil deed in providing Tobiah with a room in the courtyards of the temple of God. I became very upset and threw all of Tobiah's belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings and the frankincense. Now, let me, let me break down what just happened here. Nehemiah had finished building the walls, right? The walls are up. They just finished having this massive church service that resulted in them repenting of all they had done wrong. And they said, we're going to commit that I'm going to do this. Now, how many of us have done that cycle before? You fouled up. You messed up. You finally get back in order with the Lord. And you say, I'm never doing that again. No. I'm all yours. Well, so he got the walls up. He got all, everything was straight. I mean, the people of God were on track. And he came back to visit so he went back to the king where he was a cupbearer. He came back, and what he found was that the priest, the preacher, had given Tobiah, who was not a good guy. He was warring against what God was doing. He had married into Tobiah's family. Evidently, Tobiah had a fine sister. Okay? Yeah. And he said, the preacher married in. To this tribe. And, and so the brother-in-law says, okay, um, you can have a room in the house of God and you can store all your stuff there. What had happened is they started making some compromises. Which brings me to the first way we are prone to drift. Number one, we are all prone to grow less serious about holiness. We are all prone to grow less serious about holiness. Now listen, this may not sound like a big deal, but all of a sudden, everything they had set up, it's not like everything came crumbling down. What happened is, they gave him a room. They gave him a foothold. They, gave, they started to give in to the enemy. Now, not in some big obvious way, which, which points me to this. Most of the things that we are prone to do when we talk about holiness, what is holiness? Holiness is living right. Now, nobody preaches that anymore, that you should live right. There's an abundance of grace preaching with no, hey, if you're a Christian, there are expectations. Listen. 
when you become a Christian and follow Christ, something changes in you and you start acting different. And the first way we're prone to drift is that we get right and then we let little things start taking room in our heart. And that's what happened here. All of a sudden, everything that was holy, everything that we had set right and gotten right with God, God had allowed us and helped us get back in place. And then all of a sudden, this little thing creeped in. So listen, most of us aren't going to leave church today and murder someone. Now listen, if you had plans, that was the Holy Ghost just telling you don't do that. Oh, Holy Spirit. We don't say Holy Ghost in the Baptist church, do we? That was my Pentecostal hair that just came out. <laughs> Sorry. Holy Spirit. Now, <laughs> most of us are not going to leave today and cheat on our wives. You're not going to go to, 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 re- to the restaurant after church and throw an elbow in someone's nose. You're not going to do that. No, you don't have plans to anyway. You're not going to go start a drug ring in downtown Midlothian. You're not going to do that. Most of us don't have any plans to do that. Everybody's like, where's this going? Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go home. You're going to pull out your phone. You're going to scroll. You're not going to have devotion with your family. You're not going to pray. You can get up. Maybe you'll get out and uh, uh, turn on the football game. And not that scrolling through your phone or football games are bad. But some of us are going to leave here today and continue to not forgive that person that you need to forgive. It's not going to be the big things for you that are going to start to challenge living right, it's going to be the little things. And so when you leave here today, don't be on the guard. You lay in bed at night and say, you know what? I didn't gamble away my mortgage payment this month. No. But while you lay there and choose to do other things other than serve the Lord or stay after him. Listen, if you're wondering what's war, what's going to get in, in, in between your relationship with God, don't be looking for the big things. Be looking for the little things. Because that's what happened here. What's a room in the house of the Lord, right? What's well, a big deal? It's a big deal because that grew and grew and grew, and that's what we found. Now, God has given us a couple things to war against these small things. One is the Word of God. We've talked about this, that the Word of God will point out these little things. Like when I'm in an argument with my wife, but I have too much pride to admit where I've wronged. Oh, we don't want to talk about that sin, do we? Yeah. That's where the Word will bear its weight on me. Okay? The other thing he gives us is community. So I'm, I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning. I have blind spots. I have blind spots. And I can't see them. Because they're blind spots. 
tough crowd this morning. It's fine. But in the community of faith, people will see that. And I have a group of people around me who will call me on it. Aside from my wife. I have elders. I have friends who will say, hey, Carl, this, what you're doing isn't lining up with Christ. With Christ. I'll call a friend and say, hey, brother, listen, you know what? That wife of mine, I'll be just like Adam in the Garden of Eden. You know, when, when sin entered the world and God came down and he was like, hey, Adam, Adam, what happened? He was like, that woman you gave me done fouled this thing up. I make those phone calls, and I'm not too proud to admit it. Now, listen. In the community of faith, a Christian brother will say, hey, hey, friend, let me, let me tell you something. I love you, but you're being stubborn. And your heart's not right. Are you after your wife's heart or are you after? And, and, and we say this all the time. When we're, in, we're in a, when we're in a fuss, I'll say, you want to be right, you want to be married. Sometimes you can't have both. So he gives us two things. He gives us the word of God. And listen, I have found in 31 years of life the most loving thing I can do as a Christian is to call out my brothers and sisters in the faith and help them recognize their blind spots. It's uncomfortable. Look, it's uncomfortable. But we have to do it. If you really love one another, that's what happens. I think it is unloving to ignore someone else's sin, blatant sin. I think that's unloving. Now, how you have, you have to have, now, here's why I'm not saying, let me, let me package this a little better. Don't be hateful. We've, we, I've preached this before. If you're going to confront someone's blind spot, make sure you're ready to own yours. Because the very first thing to happen when you, when you confront someone on their blind spot, the very first thing they will notice is all of yours. So you have to be willing to own you, you before you start bringing in a loving relationship someone else. I'll, I would also suggest you do not call anyone out that you don't have relationship with. So if you have a family member that's living in sin but you refuse to talk to them on a regular basis, <laughs> don't call them out. You don't have relation, you don't have a place, they'll just take offense and run away from it. And that's biblical. You have to have relationship in order to confront that type of sin. We're all prone to grow less seriousness about holiness and living right. That's the first prone to drift. So, so let's move forward to 10. Verse 10. I also discovered that the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food. So they and the singers who were... Um, to conduct the worship services, had all returned to work in their fields. Verse 11, I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again and restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. I assigned supervisors. Everybody say supervisors. 
for the storerooms, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Padiah one of the Levites, and I appointed Hanan son of Zachar and grandson of Madaniah as their assistant. These men had an excellent reputation, and it was their job to make honest distributions to their fellow Levites. Remember this good deed, O oh my God, verse 14, and do not forget all that I have faithfully, faithfully done for the temple of my God and its services. Second way we're prone to drift. We are prone to drift from godly biblical authority. So we're prone to drift from holiness naturally. Um, and now when I say authority, all of a sudden there's a rub, okay? Ever since seventh grade, the first, you, you remember back, you remember back when, when people try and tell you what you do in, in middle school, what did you tell them? You're not my mama. <laughs> You're not my mama, don't tell me what to do, right? Oh, you've said it, yeah. Some of you have said it within the last week, yeah. Forget middle school. We are prone to, so when we talk about authority, there's, there's a couple things here. Society naturally has us rubbing against it. Everything you watch in the media um, has you warring against authority, but the life of the Christian is not that way. We should be people that submit to authority. Not just outside of here, but inside of here. Let me point something out. So there's, there's a combination. So also, do, does society not like authority? But also, people have an unbiblical view of what church should look like. People think they should come to church, throw a $5 bill in the plate, and get a good song and dance from the preacher. And then I go home, I eat my fried chicken, and I live like I want. Now, you might would say, oh, that's not true, Pastor. That's not true. But your lives wouldn't reflect it. So we have an unbiblical view of what church is. Now, Hebrews 13 gives us, when we talk about authority, Hebrews 13 gives us an idea here of what this should look like. Hebrews 13 verse 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Now, does anybody join church for that? I'll tell you, there's not a membership marathon for you to come here and do what the leadership of the church is, is asking of you. But did you know that that's a biblical expectation of the Christian? Is that, listen, when the leadership of the church steps in and leans into you spiritually to say, hey, listen, brother, we need to steer a different direction. That's not how Christ would go. As a Christian who should be a member of a church, listen. You should be obeying that. Uh, see, look, everybody's like, man, coming back here. They're, they're fixing to launch a campaign of obedience training. No. But listen, Christ is after your obedience. And many of the reasons we're prone to, to challenge holiness is because there was, we, we don't submit to leadership to begin with. Nobody has authority over me. But listen to this. We'll move on. Verse 17 goes on to say, their work, talking about spiritual leaders, the leaders of this church, their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Now listen, you come here, you go home, you pay an account for you. 
I leave here, the leaders of this church leave here. And when I go home, if the Lord were to call me this afternoon, I have to pay an account for each one of you. Did anybody know that? Now think about that. I have to pay an account for how I lead you spiritually. And then all of a sudden you want to run. Look, this is, the, this is epic church discipline here. So listen, I have to pay an account for how I've led your soul. Because look, your body passes away, your soul goes on. If I didn't do it right, I pay an account for it. The leaders of this church pay an account for it. So, so when... <laughs> I see it happen all the time. People drift away, drift away, drift away because they don't want to submit to any type of authority. Most of us have authority issues. Many of us, want, we, we don't even want God to have authority in our lives. We'll say, yeah, pastor, I, I want God to have authority. But we're often prone to drift from godly biblical authority. It goes on to say that give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Listen, don't, don't make it hard to be a leader here. Some of y'all are really good at it, I'll be honest. Y'all, y'all are good. Y'all, y'all, y'all like to make it rough on a pastor to be a good pastor, you know, because you just want to rub. And, um, you don't do it intentionally. Um, but most pastors, I'll tell you something, most pastors uh, will say, man, church would be great if it wasn't for the people. And listen, I believe it is sinful to walk outside of church membership as a Christian. If you, a lot of people will say, and I've got many, many friends that, that are sitting at home this morning watching TV preachers, which are great. But they say, oh, my relationship with God, you know, it's, I get what I need from the TV. And I'm telling you, that is not the truth. Because there is something in that rub. What does Proverbs say? Iron sharpens iron, right? Okay. It is the job of a Christian to find a home to walk with other Christians. Okay. That's where discipleship happens. You should be a part of the local church. Now listen, I'm not saying you're going to go to hell if you don't go to church. But what I am saying is that you are walking in sinful disobedience if you are not a part of the community of faith as a Christian. I wrote a note on here. Nobody's going to like this section. I figured that would be the case. But just chew on that. Chew on that. Um, this is where preaching through a book of the Bible makes it not easy. Okay? Because I, I, I could have easily just preached on John 3.16 this morning and made us all feel good. Made me feel good. But listen, this means I have to submit. Carl has to submit to biblical authority within the local body. That's why we have elders here. Now, 15 through 18. I've got to move quick. 11.04. Now, 15 through 18. Then the third prone to drift. In those days I saw men of Judah uh, treading out their wine presses on the Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. 
So I rebuked them from selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem um, at that. Keep reading. So 17, I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way? I asked. Wasn't it just this sort of thing that you're ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us and our city, now you're bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. Hear this. He's saying, haven't we been through this before? Haven't we done this before, gotten in this kind of trouble before? Verse 19, then I commanded that the gates of Jerusalem should be shut as darkness fell every Friday evening. Um, not to be opened until the Sabbath. I sent some of my own servants to guard the gate so no merchandise could be brought in on the Sabbath day. The merchants and tradesmen with a variety of wares camped outside Jerusalem once or twice. Hey, pay attention to this. Don't fall asleep. Ready? Verse 21. But I spoke sharply to them and said, What are you doing out here camping around the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. Now listen, in the KJV, it doesn't say I'll arrest you. You know what it says? I'll lay hands on you. (laughs) I'm adding that to our church covenant. When you join here, hey, you do that again, I'm going to put my hands on you. (laughs) I want that a part of our church covenant. (laughs) Yeah. Look, he wasn't playing. He said, I'll put my hands on you. And that was the last time they came on the Sabbath. (laughs) Yeah, go figure. And then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and to guard the gates in order to preserve the holiness. Everybody say holiness. Holiness of the Sabbath. Remember this good deed also, oh my God. Have compassion on me according to your great unfailing love. Listen, third way we're prone to drift. We are prone to drift by doing rather than being. So the picture here is they're trying to bring stuff into the city on the Sabbath. What are they supposed to do on the Sabbath? Rest. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to do all they can to check things off. Now, all of us like to check things off the list, right? How many of you are doers? I think all of us in some way, once you get something accomplished, don't you just feel good about it? Yeah, all of us. Have you ever started making a list to do something and the more you check it off, the more you just feel like, yes, I'm making things happen. Now, in the Christian walk, what ends up happening is our hearts are transformed. We begin to do the things that God has commanded us to do. We see the fruit of it. We feel good about it. And then all of a sudden, we'll become slaved to doing instead of being. And the Sabbath was put in place for a reason. Why? Why Why was Nehemiah so upset they were trying to work so hard on the Sabbath? Because what were they supposed to be doing? We have a tendency as Christians to try and 
to work for what we cannot earn. We have a tendency to work for what we cannot earn. And he found these folks about laid hands to some of them for trying to work on the Sabbath, which God had called them to, to rest in the fact that he is God. I can, I can on many levels, as a preacher, pastor, husband, father, look, when I'm around the house and I get all the laundry done, and I don't mean just washed and then dried, right? A lot of us are good at that. Like, we wash it and then it's in the dryer, but then it ends up in a pile, Oh, that's just me? Okay. All right. What, whatever. Judge. All you want. But listen, when I get it from the washer to the dryer, folded and in place, man, I feel good about that. My wife comes home. She's like, hey, you sexy thing. Washing all these clothes. Oh, she's not supposed to say that in church. My wife's giving me a strange face because she, she's never said that. As sexy as I am, she's never said that. <laughs> but she will give me a high five and say, man, I really, doesn't that feel good? Doesn't that feel good when, when your spouse comes home and just, they're so proud, man. They just feel good about you. Or, or when you're at church and, and the pastor comes by and says, hey, thank you so much for what you did. Doesn't that feel good? And then all of a sudden, I'm like, man, I need to do more. And then all of a sudden, when I'm doing so much because I want, that, I want that pat on the back, that all of a sudden now I'm a slave to it. And I do, and I do, and I do. And then when I fail, all of a sudden the weight crashes down on me that I'm not good enough. The reason the Sabbath was put in place was so you could rest under the fact that God did it. God did, God did it already for you. Yes, there are things we have to do. Yes, 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 and amen. There are things we have to work at. But that's not how you earn it. The Sabbath yells to you this morning to just stop trying to do what you cannot earn. Verses 23 through 31. Let's see what time we have. Oh, yeah, I got four minutes. You ready? All right. I'm going to close out. About the same time, I realized that some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Furthermore, half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and some other people could not speak the language of Judah at all. So I confronted them and called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. <laughs> Look, Nehemiah don't play. Nehemiah does not play around. Listen, this, is, this should not be your life verse, okay? Don't get this tattooed on your arm. And look, there are some Sundays I go home and I lay on my couch, and I'm like, man, I should have beat the snot out of somebody and pulled their hair out. I feel that way. Mm -hmm. God forgive me. Hey, Nehemiah did it, so... 
I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. I made them swear in the name of God they would not let their children intermarry with pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what King Solomon of Israel, um, what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? I demanded there was no king from any nation who could compare to him. And God loved him and made him king over Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives. How could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithful toward God by marrying foreign women? Verse 28. One of the sons of Jehoda, or Joada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat, the Horonite. Now, Sanballat, y'all know, they have intermarried with people who war against God. So I banished him from the pre- from my presence. Remember them, O God, for they have defiled the priesthood and solemn vows of the priests and Levites. So I purged out everything foreign and assigned tasks to the priests and Levites, making certain that each knew his work. I also made sure that the supply of wood for the altar and the first portions of the harvest were brought at the proper times. Remember this in my favor, O my God. The fourth way we are prone to drift is we are prone to become lazy about the things of God. Now, back in the day, they used to use this scripture to preach interracial, uh, against interracial marriage, which is an incorrect hermeneutic. You know what Nehemiah was after here? He wasn't saying um, black should marry white or 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 or. Judah, um, people from Judah shouldn't marry people from uh, this side of town. You know what he was saying? You should not be bringing into your house people who war against God. Who are not even a part of your faith. There's a portion in the New Testament that talks about being unequally yoked. This is what that's talking about. This isn't about interracial marriage. You have invited things into the house that are warring Against God. Now, I see it most often with young women. Sometimes in young men, but mostly in young women. Um, they'll start dating a guy because he's cute or he, he makes them feel good about themselves. But he doesn't go to church and he doesn't uh, want anything to do with God, really. And so they'll... They'll grow up, they'll start dating, and then all of a sudden they get married. And then they're wondering why all these, what's going on? Why, why is my life taking a shift? And I can't, I've, I can't even count on two hands how many marriages I've seen split over this. My prayer is that I raise my daughter to go after, not make any Shortcuts to not not make any what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want her to take her values and lower them just to have a, a guy in her life because and 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 a lot of these young women would say, well, there's no you know it's hard to find a good Christian guy. It's hard to find a good Christian. Well, yeah, that's true. But here, here's what's happened. 
the people of God had started marrying with people who wanted nothing to do with God. And the trickle down was that all of a sudden their families weren't doing anything with God. Because what do you do with kids then? I think a lot of us make decisions that we think will have no... We ask the wrong questions when we make decisions. We, we, we make decisions based on so, such superficial things. Like, oh, he's cute. Well, wow, he makes me laugh. When at the end of the day, the decisions we should be making should have eternal implications. We have to think about how God interacts with our daily lives. And so... You see, how, you see how I said this book took a, took a curveball? I wanted so bad just to preach the fire down this morning in a way that sent you just thinking, man, what a good preacher he is. I love those Sundays. But the reality is this this morning. What God wanted you to hear and the reason you're here is because you are prone to drift. And you have to recognize it. Because what happened to Nehemiah? Look, everything was right. He had gotten everything in order. And then all of a sudden these little things started to creep in in these different areas. And we paid no mind to it. And you wonder now why your faith is so stale and cold. Huh? You wonder why you don't feel for the Lord the way you used to feel for the Lord. You're not as passionate for him because you've let other things replace the joy that he brings. For temporary joy at that. Things that won't last, things that will fade away. Because let me tell you something. I know I'm good looking. But look, I don't look nearly as good as I did when I met her. Looks will fade. Stomachs will grow. <laughs> I still get the butterflies when I'm around her. She might not know it, but I still do. Now, sometimes that's the chili I ate the night before, but it, most of the time, most of the time, it's my wife and my love for her. Don't miss this. It's the little things that are causing you to drift and that will make you cold to the Lord. Have you ever been there? Oh, I've been there. Where maybe it was my job and pursuing money. Maybe I was a slave to trying to be the best husband that I could be. I was trying to be the best father. I was trying to make everybody like me. I don't know what it is for you, but there was an obsession. There was something that replaced the Lord being your everything. Maybe you've been busy doing so much that you haven't just sat and rest under the fact of what he's done. Being his son, being his daughter. I don't know. But the reason you're here is no accident. Because the word of God wanted to start to prick at your heart over some little things. That you've just let go by the wayside that have been pulling you away from his presence. Been pulling you away from your intimacy with him. 
So Luke's going to sing. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head this morning. As he sings, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God this morning to begin to reveal in your heart. Maybe you don't feel him like you used to. Maybe you, maybe you just, you, you're trying to figure out a direction in life, but you don't know which way to go. There's no clarity. It's all muddied up. And, and maybe you've tried and you've got it right and now everything's falling apart again. The reason may be that you've allowed something to cause you to drift. So as he sings, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you? Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.